so tonight is going to be a little bit of a two parts, or this morning is going to be a little bit of a two part sermon series. Uh, Caden and I are going to talk about Christmas, and we're going to do it in two ways. We're going to talk about Jesus as he came, one as a man, and as he came as God, God and man. So next week, Caden's going to teach on Jesus as God. This week, we talk about Jesus as man. And you see, both of these are essential. If he was not God, he could not have been Savior. If he was not man, he also could not have been a Savior for your sins. It was not possible. He had to be both. And we're going to explore these realities the next two weeks, and we're going to look at them uh, and see how they affect your life today. If you've been paying attention at all to the world, you look around, you look at every advertisement, you drive down the street, you see Christmas lights, you see people dressed up. Even if you came to our classy Christmas event, you saw people in all kinds of uh, holiday gear. Maybe it's ugly Christmas sweater season. But you look around, and there's at least an appearance of joy. All the lights, uh, all the displays, all the foods, all these different things, and there's sometimes an appearance of joy. And this message this morning, maybe you're sitting here, you're like, I've seen all these things for Christmas. Uh, I've seen the lights, I've working on the presents, the clothing, uh, the food, maybe it's drinking eggnog, the music, and I just don't feel joy. I see all these things around me, but I don't have the joy. I'm forgetting the real meaning of Christmas. And maybe you're going through difficult times this Christmas season. Uh, You know, it is cold outside. It's been rainy. Maybe you've lost loved ones this year. Maybe this Christmas is not something you're looking forward to because it's the first Christmas without mom or dad or grandpa or a sibling. Maybe you're dealing with financial troubles and you're wondering, do do we even have money for gifts this year? Maybe you're dealing uh, with friendship losses. You just don't feel like you have the friend group you used to have. Maybe your family itself is going through difficult times. Maybe your parents aren't doing well. Maybe you and your siblings aren't getting along. And you just don't feel like having joy this Christmas season. Today we're going to look at the humanity of Christ. And today you're going to see while the humanity of Christ can give you real and substantive joy no matter what you're going through this Christmas season. So that as you celebrate the fun things, as you see the lights, as you drink uh, drink the eggnog and enjoy the food, and dress up, you will have real joy this season. So I want to take you to one of the shortest versions of the Christmas story in the entire Bible. The shortest version. We're not going to Luke or one of the Gospels. We're going to go to Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. I'm just going to look at two verses. Much of the Christmas story is found here in just these two verses. We're going to examine it phrase by phrase. So in Galatians 4, the main idea is that it's a Christmas story. 4, verse 4 and 5. The story begins long before Mary and Joseph, though. The Christmas story didn't just start when Mary and Joseph met each other, or when Mary conceived with the Holy Spirit, or in the stable, or in the innkeeper, or even when the Gospels were written. It goes back long before that. So let's read and see. Galatians 4. Verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, 
so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Thus says the word of the Lord. It opens up, we're going to look at five phrases in these two verses. That's how I've split it up today. We're just going to look at five phrases. We're going to examine them, and we're going to look at applications for our life today. So phrase number one says this, but when the fullness of the time came. In this, you're going to see the eternal plan of God. You see, the plan to send Jesus was not one that was conceived in the moment just before he came into being. It was a plan from eternity past. You see glimpses of this in Genesis 3, when God promises to send the seed who's going to crush the head of the serpent. That will be Jesus. You see glimpses of it throughout the Old Testament. You see the angel of Yahweh appear to different people. And you know that this Jesus, this redemptive figure, this Messiah, this promised Messiah is going to come. In Isaiah 53, you see it directly promised. In Isaiah 53, at the end, it says, it's talking prophetically about this Jesus who's going to come. It says, but Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Uh, If you would place his soul as a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of Yahweh will succeed in his hand. As the result of his anguish, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, that's Jesus, my servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities, he will bear their sins. Therefore... I will divide for him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. You see this promise in the Old Testament of a redemptive Messiah who's coming, who's going to bear the sins of his people. And it's promised and it's coming, but it wasn't there yet. And the time wasn't right yet. Things had to come into place. It says, But the fullness of time came. It was also, at this point, finally right for God to execute this plan. Esai talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, the Pax Romana, just the Roman Empire. There's relative peace. There's a common language where the message can spread quickly. There's many roads through which letters can be delivered and it can be sent out. And it's at this time when it says, but the fullness, when the fullness of time came. Fullness means uh, like a completing of a number, okay? Complete number. It's like counting down, right? Maybe you count down to Christmas Day or to New Year's Day. In fact, one of my friends is actually in a pretty big countdown right now. And I was thinking, how do I illustrate this? Uh, A couple couple weeks ago, about 50 days ago, I was hanging out with the shepherd of North Bible Study, Luke LaFort, about a little more than 50 days ago. And we're talking about things coming up in his life. And if you know, he's getting married soon. And he's really excited about that. And next thing you know, he tells you, oh, 50 days. I didn't know that. I know his wedding's coming up in the future. I'm planning to go to his wedding, but I didn't know it was 50 days. And then a couple days ago, he's saying 30 days. And then it was two weeks. And it's coming up really, really soon this coming week. But he is counting down the days. And you say, until the complete number happens. Can he get married before then? No, it's not right. You know the wedding's coming, but it's not here yet. The amount of days hasn't come down. He's counting down the days. In a similar way, it wasn't time for Christ to come yet. But when the fullness of the time came, boom, God sent his son. It was time to execute that plan. 
when it was the right time, not a day too soon, not a day too late, God sent his son. It was time to redeem humanity. So you see the first phrase, when the fullness of time came. Now the second one, God sent forth his son. Who is the sender here? It's God himself. This is a, this is a, a gift of God. It's not coming from the strength of men or the power of men, but it's coming from God. You think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that what did he do? He sent his son. His son Jesus was not referred, or Jesus would not refer to this way in the Old Testament, except for once uh, in Psalm 2, and it's looking forward to that. But he was always the second person of the Trinity. He was never called the son of of God. And now in this time, he's getting a new title. God sent forth his son when he came. He was the second person of the Trinity from eternity past, but now he's come into unique relationship with God because he's taken on human flesh. In Philippians 2, it describes this. It says, although he existed in the form of God, and he was God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. He didn't lose any of his deity when this happened. He was still fully God, but he adds on a second nature, that of humanity. So when God sends forth his son, it's a human son. He's left his exalted place in heaven and come down to earth. Then the next phrase, phrase number three, says he was born of a woman. He is not saying that he was born of a woman rather than a man. No, duh. But he is saying that he's born of a woman, meaning he is genuinely human. How were you born? Born from your mother. A woman gave birth to you. The Savior of the universe, the Son of God, was born the exact same way. He's saying he's born of a woman because he's genuinely human. In the same way that you can identify a human because it comes from a human. He's born of, you and I were born of a woman. We are humans. In the same way, Jesus Christ was born of a woman. He is fully human. In every way that you and I are human, he is also human. There's no difference in that way. He is fully human. He was also fully God, but he had two natures. This is emphasizing his humanity. He was fully God in that he would be able to pay a sacrifice that's able to pay for the sins of the whole world. If God would sacrifice his own blood, it could pay for the sins of the whole world. But also, he's fully human so that he can represent mankind. You say, what do you mean by represent? In Romans 5, it talks about this. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. It says this. Therefore, just as through one man, talking about Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So because of one man's sin, a man, a human being man, Adam, sinned, all fell with him and were accounted as sinful. It says death reigned from Adam until Moses. Even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam, was a type of him who is to come. It says, but the gracious gift, it's Christ, the gift of God, is not like the tra- transgression. 
For if by the transgression of one man, Adam, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Whole point being that all of us fell in a man, in a human being, Adam. The only way we could be redeemed is if a man came to save us. It's why Christ had to come in the flesh. It's why he had to be born of a woman. For him to save mankind, he needed to be a man. You say, why a man? Because who sinned and who is God saving? So it's not God sinning. God did not sin. It's not angels who sinned. It's not animals who sin. It's not the created world around you that sin. It's not Mother Nature, as they'd call it, that sinned. No, man sinned. Christ came to save man. He didn't come to save the angels because he wasn't an angel. He didn't come to save the animals because he wasn't an animal. He didn't come to save primarily the created world because he wasn't that, though it will be redeemed. Christ came to save man. It's why he came as a man. It was man who sinned. Jesus, therefore, could not have paid for the sins of man unless he himself was man. So you know, God is man. What is this like? Well, he was a human being in every way that you and I are. Jesus Christ, in John 4, 6, talks about him being weary and tired. He had physical limitations. He could not stay up all night. He was weary and tired. He needed rest. Matthew 21, 18 says he was hungry. He needed to eat food for nourishment. In Matthew eleven nineteen, it says he was thirsty. He needed to drink water to stay hydrated. In Luke 2, 52, it says this, that Jesus, excuse me, grew in stature, his build, in wisdom, and in favor with God. Just like you and I, he started off as a small child, as a baby, the size of a baby. And he grew, and he grew in stature, and he grew in wisdom as he went to school and learned. He grew in knowledge as well. John thirteen thirty three it says he displayed love. The emotions that you and I have, we can display love. He did that as well. He was sorrowed. When Lazarus died, he experienced Sorrow, the full range of human emotions, from that of great joy to that of great sorrow. Because he was in the world. Jesus wasn't just walking in some kind of utopia where it's just perfect all around him. He was in the world with sinful men, where there was death, where there was sin all around him. And he was affected by these things. His friends died. His disciples sinned. One of his disciples betrayed him. He was affected by sins all around him, and eventually he was put to death by the hand of sinful men. He was tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. If you remember in Matthew 4, when the desert took him out, or when uh, the devil took him out to the wilderness, he tempted him, and Jesus responded in Scripture. He's exactly like us, except in this different way. While he was born of a woman, his father was not a man. His father was God himself. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not a man. You see, through man, the sinful nature is passed down. Say, how didn't he sin? 
Because through man, sin is passed down. He was not born, man, he was born of a woman, conceived by the Holy Spirit, so that he was not born into sin. Rather, he was born righteous. Just like Adam, he was born without sin, and he had a chance to obey all the commands of the Lord. So, Jesus, in every way that we are in our physical limitations, he dealt with them, every single one of them, but he did not deal with the sinful nature that you and I are corrupted with. That's the one difference. He wasn't sinful like we are. It takes you to verse 4, or phrase 4. He was born of a woman, and it says he was born under the law. Okay, now I want you to flip back a few verses. Go to chapter 3, okay, still in Galatians, chapter 3. What's it mean to be born under the law? What does the law have to do with this? How does the law in the Old Testament, the commandments of God, summarized by Jesus in the New Testament, by love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, how does that have to do with this whole equation, under the law? Well, he was born under the law, meaning he was commanded to obey the law just as you and I were. What does the law do? In Galatians 3, it talks about that. Look at Galatians 3, beginning at verse 21. It says this, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. It's not contrary to the gospel. For if a law had been given which was to impart life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Meaning, the law doesn't impart life to you. The purpose of the law in your life and in my life is not to give you life. It doesn't do that. It actually only brings death to you. It condemns you as guilty. And he goes on to say this in verse 22, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. It's literally shut them up. Say, are you good? Some people may say yes. Maybe you're thinking here, I'm a decent kid. I'm better than most. At least better than my brother or my sister. But have you lied? It says you shall not lie. Have you lusted after someone? You shall not lust. Have you coveted? If you've seen what someone else has and you want that for yourself instead of letting, uh, having joy that your friend has it. Not supposed to covet. Have you ever dishonored your parents? Ever. Disrespected them, dishonored them, disobeyed them. You're not supposed to do that. Have you ever loved anything more than God? Has there been a greater love in your heart at times for something other than God? You can't say no to all of these things. What Scripture and the law does is it shuts you up and it condemns you as guilty. So when you say, I'm, I'm good, I've done these, no, you haven't. You have not measured up to the law of God. It shuts you up and it closes down your argument. Continue in verse 23, it says, But before faith came, we were held in custody under the law, being shut up for the coming faith to be revealed. Okay? So that obedience fixes it, but there's a faith that's going to fix your condition. Therefore, the law has become our tutor unto Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. The point of the law is not so that you'd obey it perfectly and be saved. The point of the law is actually to shut you up and point you to Christ, who has obeyed the law perfectly. 
And that's the whole point of this. He was under the law, but unlike us, he never broke the law. Jesus never broke the law. He never lied. He never lusted. He never coveted. He never dishonored his parents. He obeyed them perfectly growing up. And he loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was tempted as we are, but he did not sin. If you think about temptation... When you're tempted, something attracts you, right? That you want to do it and you know it's wrong. You know the Lord doesn't want you to do that. And you take steps, hopefully, to to obey and not to give in to that temptation. But at some point, the temptation grows stronger and your will grows weaker, whether it be over time or a situation you put yourself in. And that temptation to respond in anger or, or, or to do this or to do that, that you know you're not supposed to do, The temptation is still there, and it grows stronger, and it's harder and harder not to give in. And eventually, after fighting for a time, you and I end up giving in to that temptation. So that actually the temptation is gone because you've given in to it. There's no more fight. The fight's over. You've given in. You've sinned again against the Lord. You look to Christ for help. But Jesus, in that moment when you say the temptation is too strong, i got to respond that way. I have to do this. I have to engage in that. Then the temptation is down. Jesus went through that. After the temptation was the strongest, he never gave in so that the temptation never relented. He went through it and kept on obeying. He never gave in even a little bit, never compromised even a little bit, but obeyed perfectly, never giving in. And not only did he never give in, but he had an active obedience too where he perfectly obeyed. So, Not only has he not dishonored his parents, but he's perfectly honored them and obeyed them. Which is, I don't feel like, I don't feel like honoring my parents. I guess I'll go ahead and do it anyway. No, Jesus, out of a pure heart, obeyed his parents perfectly. Christ truly loved the Lord with all of his heart at all times, never once not loving him with all of his heart. And he never gave in. Because he was born of a woman and born under law and perfectly obeyed all that the law commanded, he broke the power of the law. And he's able to save those because he's fully human. He perfectly obeyed it. He's able to save humans. We'll see here. It's the whole purpose of why he came. Galatians 4, verse 5. The last phrase we're going to look at, phrase 5. Why does he do this? Fullness of time came, sent his son, born of woman, born under law, so that, it's going to answer, why did God send his son? Why did Jesus need to become human? So that he might redeem those who are under the law. He's come to save sinners. The whole point of Christmas, the whole reason that Christ came, is that this human baby has come to save sinners. In 1 Timothy 1, it talks about it this way. It says, it's a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save sinners. Not those who thought they were good enough and could save themselves. He came to save those who weren't good enough, who acknowledged their sin and turned to Christ. He came to die on the cross for sins that he didn't commit. To die on behalf of those who believe 
in him. Christ came to save sinners. Christ came to redeem those who are under the law. You who are under the law by admission, when I ask, have you lied, lusted, coveted, dishonored your parents, or loved anything more than God? The law shuts you up and condemns you as guilty. Christ didn't, and he's come to redeem you out of that. That if you trust in him, the one who perfectly obeyed the law, can give you his righteousness, and you can be free from the penalty of sin. So if you're going to celebrate Christmas rightly, if you're going to think about Christmas rightly, you need to understand this. Christ came to redeem those under the law. He did not come primarily so that you could exchange gifts this holiday season. He didn't come primarily so that you could wear fun Christmas sweaters or Christmas suits this holiday season. He didn't come primarily so you could listen to Christmas music, as fun as that may be for a time, only a short time. He didn't come so that you could even gather with family for Christmas or exchange gifts or put up a Christmas tree or have a break from school. And because that wasn't the reason he came, if you're looking to find satisfaction this holiday season in those things, if that's the source of your joy this holiday season, it's not going to satisfy. It's not the point of Christmas. It's not why Christ came. But Jesus did come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus did come to save sinners. Not the righteous, but sinners. He did come to set the captive free. He did come to release you from the bondage of sin. He did come so that you who are in sin would trust in him and sin no longer. He came to redeem those under the law. And for you to rightly understand the Christmas story, and you think rightly about this holiday season, you need to come to faith in Christ. The whole point of him coming is to redeem you. If you don't trust in him, you've missed the whole point of why Christ came as a human. It's not just a story to remember and rehearse and feel good about, or even just to read the Christmas story on Christmas morning. The Christmas story is a story about how Jesus has come into the earth as a human to save humans. So that if, if you put your faith and trust in him, you can be saved. How tragic would it be if you missed this main point? You enjoyed all the other things with Christmas, the fun, festive things, and the lights, and all those things which are fine to enjoy, but you've missed the point that Christ came to redeem you. He came then to save. The offer is there that you would be saved now. He comes next time to judge. He comes to make war. He comes to cast into eternal darkness and hell. Trust in Christ now. Don't put it off. He's come once to save you, and he's offered you salvation. Don't wait any longer. Come to Christ now. Enjoy the full joys of this holiday season. Don't wait till he comes again. That's the Christmas story in a verse and a half. Because Christ came to save, this makes Christmas a blessing to us today. Okay, that's what he did then, but it makes it a blessing and a joy for us today. So the second main idea is the Christmas blessings we have today. Okay, verse 5b, we're going to peek at this. The end, it says that we might receive the adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 5, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He redeems us. And we're actually adopted into the family. 
not only declared innocent, but into the family. It's like a courtroom. Think of a courtroom, right? Someone, there's a judge, right? There's a judge up front, and then there's, there's the defendant, and there's the accuser, right? The accuser's accusing the defendant of doing something. And here you are, and I am, and you're standing there guilty. Guilty before God, who is the judge. Guilty of not loving him with all your heart, soul, and mind, of disobeying your parents, of lusting, of lying, of stealing. And there are, you are, standing before him, guilty. Deserving, not just of a prison sentence, but deserving of death. And this is what it would be like. It would be like the judge says, no, I'll pay your debt, actually. You're guilty, but I'll pay the debt. The punishment you deserve, I'll pay it. And he pays it so that you're declared innocent. You're justified. But you're not adopted yet. He goes a step further than that. After he gives his life for you, he then says, you know what, I've, I've, I've paid off your debt. You're innocent. You have nothing, no sins against you. I've even given you my righteousness, but you're now into the family. Why don't you come home with me? Enjoy all the blessings of a son. Enjoy all the blessings of an heir. Come home with me and I'll love you. That's what it means when he says that you might receive the adoption of sons. It goes beyond just forgiving your sins and justifying you, but it goes further and it says that you're adopted into his family. So this judge who could have rightly just condemned you to hell has offered to pay your penalty of your sins and bring you into the family so that you're not just innocent, but you're loved. You're loved by God. So that you truly are sons. You're adopted into the family, that you're a son. And that means you're loved by God as a son. Keep reading in verse 6. It says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, that's Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He gives you the Holy Spirit, meaning so you can draw near uh, to God as your Father. And just as a good father, Father's worth anything. If his child comes to him at any hour, he's going to answer. He's going to be there. You can go to him at any time. If you have a good father, you can always go to him, whether, you, whether you're worried or whether you're happy. He wants to hear. Whether you were obedient to him or even if you're disobedient and got yourself into a lot of trouble, going to a good father, he will hear you when you come to him. He gives us a spirit that we might cry out to him, Abba, Father. This is our now relationship with him. He's our father. Furthermore, verse 7, no longer are you a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Meaning, we have an inheritance in heaven. We're going to receive the things of Christ as fellow sons, fellow heirs. And one last thing, which I think may be the most powerful illustration of what it means that Jesus came as a human. Turn with me to Hebrews 4, okay? Hebrews 4. Because Jesus is also, he's our high priest. Because he's a human high priest, this should bring great joy to us. Okay, turn to the end of Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4.14. Okay, I want to talk to you a little bit about Old Testament priests. Old Testament priests are those who mediated between God and man. It's like someone who goes between. 
So if I have a message uh, for someone uh, elsewhere, there's someone who can go between and speak on my behalf to them and on their behalf to me. That's what Old Testament priests did between God and his people. Let's, Let's read this, okay? In verse 14, Hebrews 4, 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, not like the Old Testament ones, but a great one now, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, like we are, yet without sin. Because Jesus is perfectly human, he can represent you and me to God. And he can represent us accurately. Why? Because he was one of us, or he, he was human. He was tempted and tried just as we are. And he, can, he knows exactly what it's like to be tempted and tried. Continuing on in verse 16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find help, or find grace to help in times of need. He knows what we need. He knows our weakness. 5.1, For every high priest taken from a man, among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Here it says, being able to deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. Because of it, he is obligated just as for the people to also offer sacrifices for sins in the same way for himself. And no one takes this honor to himself but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. In this way also, Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but he, God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So because he's tempted and tried as we are, and beset with weakness, human, human limitations, he's able to be beside the Father, interceding for us in ways that he actually knows us. And you think, you now Jesus, when he came into human being, he, he actually, for a time, set aside his exercise of some of his attributes. He didn't lose any divine attributes, but he set some of them aside. So when he's on earth, he, he wasn't actually completely, he didn't exercise his omniscience, meaning that he actually grew, the Bible says, in wisdom. He, didn't know, he chose not to know all things. He limited himself. And he grew in wisdom on earth. And he also limited himself in omnipresence. He wasn't everywhere. He was in one spot. He set that aside for a time. So when he's on earth, he ministered fully, truly, as a man. But now in heaven, he's exercising those attributes again on your and my behalf. So that he has perfect omniscience, that he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you perfectly. He knows every weakness and struggle. He knows every strength. He knows exactly where your heart is. And he knows as you're trying to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And he's interceding on your behalf to the Father. Not only does he know you, he's also with you as he promises to be with you to the end of the earth, the end of Matthew, so that you're never alone. He knows you and he's with you. But as the Old Testament priests, they sacrificed the blood of animals Jesus has offered up his own blood, paying the penalty of our sins, giving us access to God. So when he's there, he's not just saying, here are these people. No, he's saying, here are these people. I've bought them with my blood. They're innocent. They've gotten my righteousness. They can come to you as father. 
there interceding for us. So to conclude, what you want to do this holiday season, if you want to have true joy, you need to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus this holiday season for true joy. Remember him, rejoice in him, delight in him. And if you get this right, think about God came to be a human man to save us from our sins. You can enjoy all the different things of the holiday season. You can enjoy the lights. Great. Light displays are awesome. You can enjoy the presents. You can enjoy the clothing. You can enjoy the great Christmas food, and you can drink all the eggnog. You can listen to the Christmas music. You can spend time with family. This is all good. Why? Because you know that Christ came to redeem you. And if you've trusted in him, you are redeemed. You're right with him. And even as you deal with the difficulties of Christmas, maybe you are one who's lost a loved one. It's the first Christmas without him, or you're dealing with troubles financially, or you don't feel like you have friends, or you're going through a difficult time with the family. Maybe your parents are going through a tough time, or your siblings. You can still find joy knowing your Savior in this season. Because he's man, he's endured all difficulties so that you may be saved. And one day, all the pains of this world that you experience are going to be gone, and you're going to see your Savior, the human Savior, Jesus, the risen Lord, who's at the right hand of the Father. You will see him face to face, and you will be like him because you see him as he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the gift of your son. He came to this earth as a baby, fully human, and he might represent us as humans to you, and he might pay for our sins. Lord, we're so thankful for that. We thank you for this, this gift of grace. Help us this holiday season never to forget about that, Never to let anything else become primary, but to remember Christ and what he has done and to delight in that. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.